Hello everyone, welcome back. We are the MI Guys. Yes. My name is John Gilbert. This is Tammy Clay. Casey Jackson. And we are here today to talk about a very unique topic. Uh, again, it's going to be based around somehow, we'll figure this out, <laughs> how to help you serve individuals, the communities, the organizations you serve to help improve outcomes. And yet today will be a little bit more of a philosophical way to do that. Uh, maybe dreamy, esoteric way that will try to make some sort of practical thing around. So, I like dreamy and esoteric over weird. So <laughs> I, did, yeah, I didn't choose that. I know you didn't choose Extraordinary that. Extraordinary is a wonderful yeah. shift of frame there. Yeah. Um, so what that is, is something that Casey, maybe someone else has talked about it somewhere, but came up with this concept um, that we've talked about in the past quite yeah. deeply and that uh, you were I kind of curious about. I haven't heard about, about it. I'm excited to hear about it. I haven't heard about it. <laughs> That's why it's so much fun talking with you, Tammy. It's like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, what? Tell me. Tammy brings the new perspective yeah. here. I bring the, we've well, talked about old it. perspective. <laughs> I don't know. And you bring the originator, the progenitor <laughs> perspective. So that being said, the topic is five minutes after you're dead. Five minutes after you're dead. What does that mean? It's, we're really trying to tap into some level of self-reflection here. So Casey, if you would, when we're talking about this topic, what are we talking about when you go five minutes after you're dead? Where does this all come from? What is it? Well, where did I want to start? Where did it originally come from? Like, how did, what? I can tell you. What's well, a question? Let's just be clear. I'm just going to jump in. Okay. It's a question you ask yourself oh. five minutes after you're dead. If I, like, I just want to get clear. The question itself is to ask yourself five minutes after you're dead. That's right. So the origination of it. From what I, all I can tell you is it's something that I came up with. Okay. When I was working, when I was doing private practice years ago, when people would get stuck in their own process. Mm. And yes. now when we talk about it, when we put it in the context, like John is trying to pull this into something, does this have any relevance to motivation <laughs> yeah. whatsoever? Why it's like, wait a minute, what are we getting What are we talking about here? <laughs> so I'll try to connect those dots, but I'll go with the origination of it. Um, as a clinician in private practice, as a therapist, it's not uncommon for people to get stuck. Mm -hmm. Or to truly, almost like, you know, Sophie's choice or King Solomon's decision. I mean, when people are in therapy and they have really difficult decisions, they are torn between two difficult decisions. Mm -hmm. As I was moving to more of a person-centered approach, I, honestly, when I started, I loved giving opinions and saying, well, let's think of it this way, you know, wouldn't you be happier if, I mean, it's just the way professionals believe they go into a helping profession is, I've got this perspective, I've got this insight, I've got this expertise, I want to share it with you and help you get you stuck, you know, out of the mud that you're stuck in and move you forward. So that's traditionally what was going on. Okay. As I was shifting to more of a person-centered approach and having a profound respect for how people genuinely would have these issues they were struggling with, divorce, sexuality, uh, abortion, like really painful decisions that they were stuck, and ethically you start to tread water going, ethically, this is not my, I should not tell them what to do here. Mm -hmm. It really is you're trying to help them navigate through their own ambivalence. And it was at a time where I was, I mean, this will shift a little bit into the woo-woo and then back on track a little bit. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a time in my developmental process of my own professional and personal development that I really was into a lot of um, active spiritual pursuit mm -hmm. and, you know, that I've continued throughout my life. Um, but looking at that from a very spiritual perspective, not only for how do you feel about it at this moment, 
but really what are your underlying values? So even though I didn't have the words or the structure that I did once I became more familiar with motivational reviewing, especially when we get into focus mountain concept, mm -hmm. but what I found is there was two fundamental concepts that I could get people to snap out of their perspective and get a different vantage point to give themselves some insight. So one of them, one of the two that struck me was how would you look at this moment in your life five minutes after death? So it wasn't even from a religious perspective, it wasn't from a spiritual perspective, but let's just say that you have five minutes of consciousness after you've passed through the plexiglass mm -hmm. and you can't get back through it, mm -hmm. but you're looking back at this point in your life when you're 35 years old and you're trying to decide do I stay in this relationship or not, Five minutes after you're dead and it doesn't really matter as much now that your life is over, yeah. which one will you be happier? What decision do you think you'll be happier with? Mm. And it would take people out of the here and now and put it in a perspective like, God, it doesn't matter how I look. It doesn't matter how much money I've made. It doesn't matter what I've done with my children. I'm dead. Yeah. And five minutes after I've passed, if I look through that plexiglass at the whole span of my life, what decision would I have made at 35 yeah. that makes me go into wherever I'm going? with a sense of peace. Mm -hmm. And it was just a way of five minutes after I'm dead. So it didn't have to do as much with the brain chemistry or the body or mm -hmm. the physiology around that. It really was just this uh, perspective that for some people would almost snap them out of the stuckness to just, so it would bring down this, what feels in the moment when you're so immersed in it, like there's nothing yes. else I can see and literally holds it there. And as you step back and you can see the mountain and the horizons to the mountain being the forefront of your face, yeah for so many people would provide perspective. And, they, and even if they'd go, I need to think about that. At least I know that it kind of had got them unstuck from the glue of that situation that are really profoundly overwhelming and emotional and people don't know what the right decision. And literally they've been so stuck in the pros and cons in their the deep ambivalence for so long that they can make a case either way, and now all they've done is they've spun their wheels and they've gotten themselves so stuck that they can't figure out what to do. They're immobilized from chronic contemplation. Mm -hmm. And so that was one way, is I just thought about from where I was at in my own life spiritually, is like, does any of this even matter? Mm -hmm. Yes, it matters profoundly to this individual. I wonder if it would matter to them. I don't think we look at things the same way five minutes after we're dead as we do when we're in the middle of it. And that was where the whole concept of five minutes after dead came from. What, what I like about it and what I think is kind of beautiful about it is you tap into kind of getting people to think about their legacy. Yes. What's really most important to them. That's what exactly impact. it, Tammy. But then also on top of that, it becomes, instead of a um, here and now thought process, it just becomes a super reflective. So if I'm thinking back on my life, even though I'm not dead yet, I'm right here. Exactly. You know, if I'm thinking back, how would I feel and what would I think about? And so I think that's what to me, what really resonates and what makes it so powerful is because, yeah, it just, that's going to help people think about it in a completely different way. Well, and when you think of it, for the, the way you just talked about it too, I, when I think about what my intention was and some of my strategies behind it as well too, is we know that we know the saying, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yes. And I thought, let's capitalize on yeah. that. Yeah. You're not dead. You're 35 years old. Yeah. And you're, and, but you're stuck in a situation. And I think, I think it's still hard to get out of the glue or out of the muck if I say, well, if you were 50 and looking back, because most people when they're younger just think, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I know I'll have more wisdom. I know I'll have blah, blah, blah. But as soon as you say five minutes after you're dead, everybody perks up for a few minutes. 
And I think in the beginning when I would tell people, not the clients I was working with, but when I was talking to other professionals that this is working really well for me, the first response is, God, that's a morbid thought. When they didn't get into the context underneath it, mm -hmm. it's like, why would you take someone struggling with depression or mm -hmm. are they gonna get an abortion or am I gonna get divorced or where am I off my sexuality? Why would you talk to them about death? And it's like, I'm not talking about death. It's literally a framework to think about hindsight is 2020. Let's pretend like you have hindsight. Yeah. So you can make a 2020 decision right now. I would totally agree. It's it's not talking about death. It's talking about life. That's How do exactly you want to live? That's exactly it. By talking about your death, yeah. One thing that comes to mind here that can seemingly be really important, and so I'm curious, given you've tested this out many times, mm -hmm. and um, I'm getting reoriented, you're getting introduced. This idea is so deep and powerful, possibly. Yes. But just because you're asking someone this question, it matters how it's led up to and how it's done. And I say that because what comes to mind is people, maybe certain people listening to this might be like, okay, well, I'm gonna use that question. And right when someone opens up, maybe I should exercise more. Well, let's think about this. Five minutes after oh. you're dead, <laughs> you know, and you think about that, what would that person say to your now person self? Like, you yeah. can totally do it, try it out, experiment. but. There seems to be an intentionality behind this that, that we've talked about in other podcasts with yes. the Focus Mountain to go, well, why are you even thinking that? Or what's this about? Go a little bit higher up the mountain, go deeper into their motives. Yes. And then once you've illuminated, elucidated yeah. some sense of a deeperness and that there's this ambivalence that's deeper or these motives that are competing or values, then the question comes in that especially helps clarify, if I'm yes. not mistaken. I mean, yes. what's, what, what would be if people are thinking of using this and, and then jump in too. But just how would you go about using these kinds of questions with the intentionality behind them I think is really important to talk about rather than the question itself. Well, I was just gonna say it's, what I wanted to comment on is it's not about just saying the question because mm -hmm. that's just gonna make it a little awkward and weird. It's, it's about being genuine and, and partnering and being curious. Mm -hmm. Because if you just come in, like to your point, if you just came in and said it right after, it's. A, going to get maybe a little awkward. I don't know. Maybe not. You right, never know. Right, right. But yeah. it's also going to seem like it might, it might, because I don't know, but it might seem disingenuine or just like you're pulling this question out of your back pocket and serving <laughs> it up. Mm -hmm. yes. You know, whereas again, if you slow the process down to really be curious, to really partner, mm -hmm. to really be with someone in an empathetic and compassionate way, then this question is, such a reflective and thought-provoking question. Well, and, and again, here's what I was thinking about for myself, and what I've always tried to do in my, when I was in that phase of my career, through all different phases of my career, in agencies and private practice and just other things I've done, I, I do genuinely want to operate from a high place of integrity. Yeah. But I also want to do it in a mindful way. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I just want to throw stuff out just to, for shock value or to, to see anything. And what my progression around this whole, it's so odd to even have this conversation about five minutes after dead and where did it come from. But what the progression was is what I know when somebody's struggling with a profound life issue. Mm -hmm. we, I, th I do believe most people in the field that are ethical try not to dive in and solve the problem. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about things like divorce or sexuality mm -hmm. or abortion or just really controversial issues mm -hmm. um, or really difficult issues for people to navigate that are very real life issues for so many people. Um, do I stay in relationships? Do I leave? Do we have another child? Do we, you know, just so many difficult issues. 
And in the helping profession, we want to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we feel like we get paid to do. They came in here to help us solve it. And if we buy into that delusion, then we feel like we have to have an opinion and try to walk them through that solution. Mm -hmm. So as I'm trying to ethically kind of back up from that, and you want to support the individual, you can start to feel like you're treading water. And the thing you do not want to do is feel like you're treading water when you see somebody treading water and starting to go under. Mm -hmm. So it's a really odd place to be as a professional to go, yeah. I want to be the professional. I want to be able to guide them through the conversation. And, and this is why, for me, MI became so profound because of these complicated situations. But what I started to realize is what we, if we don't, what we tend to want to do is jump in and solve it and go, well, let's think about this. Wouldn't you be happier waking up and not hating the person you're laying, to, mm -hmm. laying next to? Just think of the energy that takes. So our bias can start to tip into that, mm -hmm. right? So then the way we try to mitigate that, this is the way I was thinking about it, and I supervise so many people as well, so many clinicians as well too, these are really common things that have come up. So then what we try to do to take a step back from that is, well, what would make you feel better just five years from now? Mm -hmm. How would you feel better five years from now? But it is so interesting to me that when you're stuck in that, it's like an intellectual exercise, but it doesn't work very well. Mm -hmm. Like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and it's the same way you guys were both asking, but when do we ask that question? What's the context in which we bring it up? You can also see somebody just going, I know, but it's not 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. Like I'm right here and I'm so stuck in it. There's something about five minutes after you're dead that just removes all that. Yeah. That doesn't feel like five years from now or 20 years from now because what they're feeling is, but I'm not five years from now. I have no concept how I'd feel five years from now if I was divorced. Mm -hmm. I have no idea how I'd feel five years ago, five years from now, if I came out, like I have no idea because it's, it's literally a path that they cannot see. It is pitch black. Mm -hmm. So it's so hard to do that, but it is easier to step over the line into not being on the planet anymore and looking back and going, whoa, that's what am I stressed? Like I need to get clear what my values are. Who am yeah. I really? And where do I want to go? And so I think this leads up that contextual perspective as well, too, to try to mitigate the diving in and giving advice or opinions, mm -hmm. which in some ways we feel like we get paid for. As a therapist, that's what I felt like I was getting paid for. Mm -hmm. Like, I want your advice. I want your opinions. It's great for the ego to think that you're giving people advice and opinions. Yeah. But it really is not your job to be giving them advice and opinions on these critical life issues. Really on a lot of issues that we give a lot of advice and opinions Nor on. are they probably going to take them. Exactly. And this, or they take them and then you get credit for the success and they or you get credit for the failure. And it's mm -hmm. just like, this is just, it's a normal process, but it wasn't the healthiest, mindful, integrous process that I was trying to evolve towards as a professional and as a clinician. So. Those are the things that I think of is what was the teeing up of that. And that's why I think more traditionally we think of, well, what would life feel like five years from now? Or how would you feel 10 years from now? Mm -hmm. And for some people that works, but that was always my ace in the hole. Just if, And sometimes I think, you know what, let's just go there because I think it's going to uncover or help them uncover what are their core operating values right now or what they've operated from and is their behavior in line with it, which is why it was such a natural fit for me as I moved more into true motivational interviewing and understanding the dynamics behind an MI-based conversation, which are ones that when we talk about equipoise and that lines up with the biggie like Miller and Moyer, William Miller and Terry Moyers, those are exact examples I'll bring up where you should use MI. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I think of is they're good examples of where you definitely need to stay in equipoise. If, 
people say, should we have another child? Do you think I should get divorced? Um, yeah. Should I have an abortion? Yeah. Um, should I come out to my family? Like, those are ones that are saying, those are not MI-based conversations. I, I think they can be MI-based conversations. I think this is why we have such an affinity towards the construct of equipoise of yeah. not being biased one way or the other. Good but love. this is also why the influence of Five Minutes After Dead or structurally from the way we teach MI, Focus Mountain, mm -hmm. can help navigate a dark, scary forest mm -hmm. uh, trees. Because there's some trees, we can talk about a lot of the trees that are difficult on Focus Mountain, but there's also dark, scary forests um, yeah. that are, we don't even know what they look like if you step in there. So that's where the construct came from. Like and two of those things we go much deeper into. We have that, that really old one on Equipoise. That's a really good one that I haven't even listened to it for a while. There's that one. Then there's a new one on Equipoise where we go deep into that. There's oh, podcasts. Oh, uh, yeah. There's some podcasts some uh, on the Focus Mountain. So if you want to dive deeper into that, we have that. But just for now, when we're thinking about these questions, it really opens up this possibility of so many angles to take this from. There's people that might talk about it while well, you're getting them to envision, right? And envisioning has its own benefits, yes. which you might be someone that specializes in that. Wonderful. Yes. Love to hear maybe what you, yes. what, why that is, right? Um, it's also something that you could call from more of a, like a MI lens, it's, it's change talk oriented or hypothetical change talk yes, oriented, which tends to be more advanced. MI when you get into hypothetical change talk. So we could digest it from that angle, but it really is something that you found and vetted as powerful, right? Yes. And really opening up. And it really opens up this possibility to dialogue with, with you all and hear from you as well as us maybe open up this whole realm of like, what are just powerful questions and powerful things we, you know, especially you over your history have found to open this up, right? Yeah. And this is one question that we're talking about that you can use in an MI-based conversation that really has been powerful to help people go deeper into who do they really, really want to be at the end of the day, particularly at the end of the life, yeah. <laughs> this yeah. particular question. And so I just, I think it's really important that what's the context in which you're using it? What's your intention? How mm -hmm. curious are you really? Yes. This is a question to be conscientious of all of that. And this question just happens to have a lot associated with it that aligns with MI is what I'm picking up. You know, it's, it's interesting. So I was going to bring it up, and this is the perfect segue, is there was one other kind of original thought or belief. I mean, if we get into waking life, then it's not none of its original thoughts. So it's just collective conscious. Anyway, a whole different conversation. Um, but another original way, that something that I brought up, that you were talking about how to elicit the change talk or what are evocative ways mm -hmm. or these uh, ways of doing it. And this was what I would shift towards to go from the change talk to try to find commitment talk or start to develop plan. Um, the other thing that I came up with was I would have people think about, you know, if your life right now, you were sitting in a movie theater and, want, and pick your favorite actor or actress playing you and you're literally watching your life at this point in your life play out right now, how would the movie play out and how would it end mm -hmm. if after the camera shut off, you sat there for a half hour, hour afterwards, just staring at the screen going, that was just brilliant. Like how, or you couldn't stop thinking about when you got home or when you woke up the next morning. How would that actor or actress play out your life in a way that you're just like, that's who I want to be when I grow up. Like that is exactly how. And that was a way to start to get people to think about change talk because I would have them think about if you're watching this, because I was thinking for myself, where I would get off the dime on things is when I would watch a movie and I just think, that's integrity. 
-hmm. Like, I don't care how you slice it. They overcame odds. They didn't care about social consequence. They didn't care about different things. They were true to who they are. And that's where I found my own integrity was watching from other people just going, you know, whether I was crying afterwards or just in awe afterwards, or I'd watch it 15 times or one scene. Yeah. And, and sometimes we need an example to model for us yes. because it helps our executive functioning. It literally gives us grist for the meal mm -hmm. to, to how to move forward. Like, oh, I can see someone else do it. And that was a way that I could move from the five minutes after dead to then how to play out from here. Yeah. And it's how I do this kind of combination between eliciting change talk, eliciting values, getting clarity, and doing this kind of value sorting process. And now once you've sorted that, how would it play out from here to try to empower their brain? This is the whole thing about the activation and supporting autonomy and activation in the MICA. Like how can I get their brain of its own accord to try to draw out or evoke ways or potential you know, steps forward to move in alignment with who they wanted to be. Mm -hmm. So that was another evocative when you're asking, you know, what are your ideas? What are things that you all have tried before? That was kind of the second one I was thinking about when we brought up the five minutes after death. The other one I was thought about was sitting in a movie theater, you know, a half hour after the film's over and you're the only one in the theater just staring at the screen still going, this has changed my life and I don't even know how it's changed my life. Mm -hmm. Like I need to do something different in my life. Mm -hmm. And that's another way I found to kind of get underneath it and, Kind of uproot some of the status quo. You haven't heard that one, mm -mm. have you? Mm -mm. Those are good. Hold <laughs> <laughs> them up. That's yeah. why you work with us. I know. Those are good. Yeah, They're powerful yeah. in particular. Yeah. And I remember hearing about that one years ago and just being like floored. And um, it really takes a certain sense about you, a certain setting, a certain thing to pull that off in a yes. way that's genuine yes. and that isn't overly clinical or didactic, yes. but it can be so powerful if you're talking about using that in personal or professional situations so long as you know you can make it yours and, yeah. and really get at the intention of what that's trying to get at. And, and I like, think this is what it is, is about the intention behind it. I mean, exactly. these are things that Casey came up with, these are things that I did mm -hmm. that really were profound for the, for the clients that I worked with. Um, but in, in the moment, at the time, and in retrospect, you really do see how these kind of odd thoughts really do fit in and mm -hmm. dovetail with what the intention and spirit of motivational interviewing really is about, is how do we empower individuals, how do we activate, evoke and activate their capacity for change, their desire mm -hmm. for change, um, and how can we do that strategically and mindfully? So neither one of those are things that you would hear in motivational interviewing explicitly, but you don't have to hear any of that stuff. You don't have to wait for someone, a trainer, or an expert in MI to tell you what to do, once you get those constructs in your brain and you feel really skilled and masterful at it, there's things you already do naturally, like John was trying to elicit, like what are your ideas, what have you done before, how are ways you've been able to, to provoke this, revoke this, that is what the intention is in motivational interviewing, is how do we move towards change talk, how can we move towards commitment talk, how can we help develop a plan where it's not us as a professional instilling or installing our own thoughts or our solutions for but empowering and evoking and helping them come up with their own solutions. That's exactly it. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that comes to mind when we're, we're addressing this, uh, and I was trying to think of like the variety of people of what you might be out there seeing the title of this or whatever, we go with five minutes after you're dead, <laughs> and, and like the different cultures and the different things. We're not saying to ask this question, you have to have a belief system in spirituality or some of the things we've alluded to. You can be an agnostic, an atheist, whatever. 
it's really like Casey was just speaking to, the intentionality behind it is to take someone outside of themselves and mm -hmm. self-reflect deeply, like Tammy was saying. And there are other questions to do that if you're not comfortable. This is a question that Casey has vetted and has really seen that resonates with me, that might resonate with others that you can choose to try out. It's just a really profound one seemingly for some reason. And so if you have thoughts or ideas around it, we'd love to hear and, and anything around that and any other sorts of ideas you have for other powerful questions that you found. We'd love to hear and engage with you around. Um, I, uh, we didn't talk about these sorts of things, but the more you get into experience, it sounds like, especially for you, Casey, the more you really find things that tend to resonate for people, Absolutely. as long as they're used in this context of otherness service yes. and really doing it from that place. And there seems to be ones that, you know, you've influenced me on, and like one I'll just throw out there uh, around slowing it down, I think is important with the time we have left. It's kind of like, it's the five minutes after you're dead is this profound reflection back. It's this looking at the uh, yourself from a different angle. And I might even add uh, that uh, Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers documentary yes. got into this. Yes. He was a very intelligent, wise person that he used puppets for a reason that really externalized even his own issues really. Um, but but it, it's this externality of, of something is going on there that I'm sure psychologists could, could give us feedback on. But there's something powerful to that. But there also is something powerful to, as Rolnick, uh, Stephen Rolnick will talk about, slowing it down to ultimately speed it up. And so there's a lot of ways to look at this, but what that means is it taps into a lot of things that you talk about, Casey, of really helping with their executive functioning, their problem-solving abilities to, instead of immediately when they're stuck, go, well, they say, for example, I don't know, and instead of immediately going, well, you could do this MI thing that I learned. You could do this, you could do this, you could do, I'm providing a menu of options, I'm doing what I learned in MI, or you could take it to the next level and go, well, wait a minute, let's, let's slow this down, let's think about this. The people you know in the community that you are, the resources you have, what you've learned out of this program, and just where you're at now, if we were to just slow this down for a minute and you were to think of all those things, then what comes to mind? And there's something to be said about helping people not just rely on another answer, yes. but slowing it down. And one that seems to be powerful that I've thrown out to different people around the same thing is when you're in that moment of a decision, what's going to go through your head for you to be who you want to be. Mm -hmm. You influencing that in some sort of way, guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And, but that is so powerful and that can add a lot of, you know, details So you could add values to that. You could add all sorts. Right. But the whole point of this is really getting into what's your intention to be with them. Mm -hmm. And then if it is to be curious and partner and serve and go deeper into their motives, these questions can really help people to not just find their own motivation that's in their own murky water, but also to then find solutions that you're co-discovering because you're choosing to slow it down with them that you, right. you talk about. So as we're kind of getting into the last few minutes or so of, of, of what we got, I just was wondering if, um, and feel free to comment as well, how that evolved for you to think about slowing it down and what you're really intending to do. When you think about the power of five minutes after you're dead, and now you think about the power of these questions we're asking, what came to mind of why that's evolved that way? The, the first thing, John, that I think of is that it was my own evolution between solving the problem and fostering or orchestrating or facilitating 
truly a sustained behavior change. I can come up with a solution. Your, the, how quick your brain works and how much research you have in your brain, you can see point A to point B. If you would just eat less meat or eat no meat, or if you were 100% plant-based, that's gonna get you to where it's gonna help with your inflammation, it's gonna help with these things here. We can see that. And so that's actually pretty quick. Mm -hmm. you, you know off the top of your head solutions. When I'm looking in the addiction world or mental health work world, if you take this medication, your symptoms are going to be reduced. Mm -hmm. When your symptoms are reduced, you stay in your home longer, in your living situation longer. We can see those solutions. The slowing down is, it doesn't matter if I know that. And honestly, it doesn't matter if you know all that about nutrition, if it's not helpful to the end user. So we can be experts in this field but literally slowing it down is what sets up a sustained behavior change, mm -hmm. which is why your example was so on point when we get into this thing about when people say, well, I don't know what to do from here. You know, what do you think I should do? And our professional ego jumps at those opportunities because we go, oh, here's all the cards you need to play. And if mm -hmm. you play them in this order, it's going to be the best situation. When you slow it down, what you're having their brain, it's exactly what we talked about, this whole obsession I've had about executive functioning in the last few years is how do we get their brain process to problem solve and develop coping skills. And as they start to do that, we use strategic affirmations to build a sense of personal agency and self-efficacy. And as that gets built, it improves their executive functioning and you're setting them up for a long-term behavior change. Well, you can't, you can't rush that process and have sustained behavior change. So that for me is where I started to see the slowing it down to, to, to go the distance. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. And I think that's the, you know, I, I like the term. I think a lot of participants when we do trainings like the term slow it down to speed it up because it's a little confusing, but it kind of makes sense. But what I always think of is it's kind of the tortoise and the hare or you're running a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, you can run the sprint. Um, but you're still going to get last place. I mean, that's so yeah, you showed everybody how you're the fastest person out of the game. It's ironic because literally two nights ago, the girls were in their little grade school cross country meet of all the grade schools in the whole area. And it's exactly, you see the difference. Little kids that are trained, grade school kids that are trained to run aren't the ones out of the gate. But 80% of the kids, as soon as the gun goes off, <laughs> they sprint out of the gate and they're leaving these other kids in the dust and those other kids in the dust are the ones that are coming around the corner at the end of these cross-country meets mm -hmm. yeah. um, because they just there's just a maturity to that and I think that's partly a knowledge and a maturity thing is you do you're talking about with behavior change we talk about this ad nauseum behavior change does not occur overnight but when you get a treatment plan or you're getting your billing insurance you want to show that you're making the treatment happen overnight. Like, mm -hmm. here's the change that's happening, here's the treatment plan, here's what I recommended, this is what we told them to do, and that's going to fix the problem. Until we look at the data on the flip side of that, which shows, oh my gosh, most people aren't doing it. Okay, let's blame them then. Well, they're non-compliant, they're not following our recommendations. Yeah. I mean, it's just this vicious circle from that perspective. As we're wrapping up, the one thing I do want to say, and this is a disclaimer on this whole process about the five minutes after you're dead, as I've thought about this more, I want to put the disclaimer, mostly because I'm going to head it off at the pass, because I know this could be a comment that's going to come out. Um, so I'm just going to head that comment off, because I know there's at least one or two of you thinking this. Um, trauma. So, mm. disclaimer, if we're looking mm. from a trauma-informed care lens, mm -hmm. 
I may or may not bring up something like five minutes after you're dead. Not even from a shock value perspective that we don't want to re-traumatize, but literally if Tammy has a history of trauma or John has a history of trauma, significant trauma, if my professional assessment is as I start to talk about it, his traumatic response increases, not from the thought of death, but just the whole trauma of now I feel even more stuck and even more confused, that could re-traumatize someone. So when we're thinking about strategically and you're looking through a trauma-informed lens, it doesn't mean you wouldn't go there. It means you need to be very cautious that you are using an intervention and is that intervention helping improve the situation or could it be detrimental to the situation? So I'm just gonna put that out as a disclaimer with the, the, the movie or with the five minutes after dead. It is professional discretion. And again, by no means those are just truly hundreds of ways of going about it with the two that we just talked about today. Those are things that are put from a disclaimer perspective is professional discretion means you're going to assess if this could potentially increase a traumatic uh, trauma response, I'm definitely not going to use that approach. So even there's other ways to get to change doctors, other ways to get value that may not. And the other thing that I would say about that is if you can see that happening, there is a potential that you're mismatching stages of change. So you're trying to get into a planning process or to a focus process when they still haven't gotten out from underneath the trauma response part of it. So that's a disclaimer that I would just throw out there because I love talking about this. We can riff on it for days. We can get into it. But in some situations, I do want to bring up certain disclaimers. And this is one because I think it can feel relatively provocative mm -hmm. um, to evoke these kind of responses that there is professional discretion of is it indicated to actually use an approach like that. So. This brings up uh, just two last thoughts. One is this whole concept of what does it mean to mature as a professional? And I really, that's an intriguing thought to have a conversation with. When you with get older, we'll talk about a job. <laughs> <laughs> you helped sp speed that up for me, for better or for worse. That's, at least that's what people must think when yes. they see me. But uh, that there, there is something very intriguing there of how aware are you of all these components at once as a professional, yeah. which is so beyond MI, which is so beyond this one question. And there's just so much richness to what it means to be a mature helper, you know, yeah. and, and to evolve in that. And I think there's a lot of conversation to be had around that for, yeah. for, for all sorts of things out there if, if people are interested. Um, in addition to, there's this uh, concept earlier around... Oh, I lost it. Okay. I, this is one of the first time that's happened. It's what here, happens so. when you get older. For <laughs> <laughs> so, that maturing process we're talking about. Yes, well, we're reaching our time and that's our timer right there. So maybe uh, I'll just have faith regardless of your belief system. That's not meant to be, <laughs> be asked as much as I want to hold on to it so bad. Uh, I will let it go and I guess that's where we will call it for today. And if it's all that important, we'll do something else. Right Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, we know that to that. Anything else you'd like to add to it? No. Okay, well, with that in mind, that's one powerful question with the thoughts and ideas we brought it up with as uh, kind of your intention really matters there. And if there's other things for other types of questions, other sorts of approaches, we'd love to hear from you what's worked for you, what you would like to hear of more of different Absolutely. powerful questions. Anything along those lines, we'd love to hear from you. Again, we're the MI guys providing the salute communication solution to change your world. Thank you for your time and wishing you Thank well. Thank you. Thank you.